The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Strange New Worlds called Among the Lotus Eaters. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us on social media. We're all over social media. You can find us on pretty much every social media platform, and we love to see you wherever you are. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. And stick around to the end of the show because we have more of that great listener feedback that we always get from you guys. And we really do appreciate that. All right. Uh, this and time. Now, yeah. now, Dom, I understand you have a recap of the episode for us this week because last week I was moving from California to Arkansas. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to join for this episode, but I was able to get my Internet hooked up in time to see the episode so I could join today. And and here I am for the video viewers in an entirely undecorated home office (laughs) in my new house in Arkansas. This is not actually the maiden broadcast from it, though. I did a live stream yesterday with someone else. Okay. Well, I won't won't take offense to that. (laughs) But what happened in this week's episode of Strange New Worlds? So no pressure here. Here we go. The Enterprise is assisting the USS Cayuga chart a binary system, giving Captains Pike and Battelle the opportunity for some personal time. Battelle gives Pike a gift of an Opelian Mariner's Keystone, which is said to always guide the lost sailors home. But when Battelle gets the bad news of being passed over for promotion, Pike's gift to her is to break up with her or at least to take a break. And she doesn't take it very well, as you would expect. Then Pike gets a call from Starfleet about Rigel 7, which is a Bronze Age society that the Enterprise last visited five years earlier and was referenced in the pilot episode The Cage. That visit resulted in three dead crewmen during a four hour away mission. Now there's signs of Federation contamination and The Enterprise has to go clean up its mess and fix the Prime Directive violation. Meanwhile, uh, Erica Ortegas is supposed to have a rare opportunity to go on the away mission, but she's bumped at the last minute because Spock discovered a debris field and there's going to be a need for some fancy piloting. That leaves Pike, Mbenga and La'an to fly down where they each start hearing ringing in their ears and getting headaches and experiencing lost time until they're captured by the native Kalar and taken to their leader, who happens to be the not-dead Yeoman Zack, who didn't die five years ago, it turns out, and he's ticked off. <laughs> turns out that some radiation causes everyone's memories to go memento movie every night, leaving, uh, that's a deep cut to a movie called Memento, <laughs> leaving Pike, Laan, and Imbenga with no knowledge of who they are. A local guy named Luke befriends them, explains things, but as usual, they're not resigned to their fate, so they make a jailbreak. La'an is injured, and the legend is that their memories are being held in the castle, so that's where they head. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the same problem is happening there, so Spock suggests they hide in the debris field, which 
should block the radiation, except Spock doesn't realize that the debris field is the source of the radiation, at least in orbit, along with the meteor from the debris that's on the planet. Only Ortegas's conviction that she's a great pilot gets them out of the field after everyone's memory is lost. On the planet, Pike realizes that the Opelian keystone he's wearing connects him to someone he loves and has lost, which drives him to confront Zack in the castle, where his memory returns now that he's shielded inside the castle. Zack is arrested, La'an is healed, everyone beams up, and Pike admits to Battelle that he's an idiot, and won't she take him back? The end. How'd I do? Okay? <laughs> Very thorough. Very thorough. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if, if I had been writing it, the first line would have been, this week, Star Trek does memento, because <laughs> so much of this is driven by the same plot concerns as the movie Memento, which is about a guy who can't remember he has no he has his long term memory, but he suffered an accident that has prevented him from forming new memories. So mm -hmm. he can only remember the last five minutes. And he is on a quest like our characters to address justice. But since he can't form new memories, what he does is he writes himself notes and even tattoos important facts on his body so that he can refresh his non-existent memory by reading the notes. And they do similar things to that in Among the Lotus Eaters. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the, the, the native, the, the, the people on this planet are called the Kalar, and they're divided into two classes. There's a worker class, which are known as field Kalar, and then there's a ruling class, which is described as secretive. At least it was when the Enterprise visited five years ago. And because the, the, the ruling class lives in this in this castle, they're shielded from the effects of the radiation from the meteor that is issuing the radiation or the asteroid. And um, the field Kalar lose their memories every night. For some reason, it only happens at night. But they even the Luke, the, the field Kalar they meet, who explains things, has tattoos on his body of important things, some of which he has blacked out because he doesn't want to remember them. And he also has a totem which has a bunch of pictorial designs on it that also explains the basic situation to him every day. So, uh, Father Corey, your overall impression of this episode? You know, I actually, I kind of enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, like, like Jimmy and John said, this is not a new idea of people losing their memories and having to, you know, having to figure things out with very little information. Um, it's not a new idea of, of the uh, you know, like some kind of strange radiation causing temporary memory loss. You know, we've seen it in Star. <clears throat> excuse me, seen it in Star Trek. We've seen it in other science fiction. It's not you know not a new thing. I think they handled it well. Uh, one thing Dom and I were discussing before we started is that this episode is a little bit divisive because of choice of words uh, for feeling. You know, using the word feelings because of we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But I think they did a good job with how they handled the. Um, the aspects of them trying to figure themselves out and, and using their, their instincts, their gut feelings, their, their, what memories they do have of themselves um, to get through this and to, to uh, solve the problem. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I and I would agree. I, I, I like this episode. Uh, there were, I, I like the call back to the cage. We can get into that in a bit. Uh, the original pilot of TOS. And uh, I, I think the, it wasn't my favorite, but it certainly wasn't. It was pretty good. I liked I liked uh, some of the action 
and uh, the humor that we had sometimes on the on the ship up. I think Spock is really turning into a kind of a fun straight man for some some good humor mm-hmm. in this series. And uh, I, I and I also like the fact that Spock is not the Spock of TOS, you know, who's the smartest, always gets everything right. That's 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 kind of a, a, an interesting development of the character. He's he's developing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed this and I thought it was a good story. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? I thought it was a I thought it was a, a good story. It was well executed. It was not what I was expecting. Um, the title among the Lotus Eaters suggests something very different. If you know your if you know your his, historical literature, the reference to Lotus Eaters is found. I mean, it's mentioned a few places in ancient literature, but the the famous one is in Homer's odyssey Hmm. on the way home from the trojan war uh odysseus stops at an island whose approximate location is given it's in the it's meant to be in the mediterranean sea but it's they're more specific in the odyssey than that about its location and on it are it's inhabited by a group of people called the latophagoi or the latophagoi or the lotus eaters and odysseus sends three men to investigate what kind of people the lotus eaters are. And they subsist entirely on lotus. Now, there's a historical, the term lotus in Greek could refer to several different plants, but these guys are eating one of them and it is so delicious. They don't want to eat anything else. They don't want to do anything else. All they want to do is eat lotus all day. And so it's like a psychoactive, highly addictive drug that the Lotus Eaters are taking. And they give the three men, you know, Lotus to eat and they just love it and they don't want to leave. They want to stay here and eat Lotus and be in this drugged out bliss. And Odysseus has to have them seized and he ties them under the benches on his ship and they're weeping bitterly at being torn away from being able to eat lotus and he orders all the other men not to eat any lotus and they sail off and presumably these three men eventually overcome their addiction so that's that's what the lotus eaters are historically and among the lotus eaters i expected some kind of blissed out paradise that people didn't want to leave and wow is this not that <laughs> this, this is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's extreme. It's disturbing. It is somber. It is frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a terrifying sequence up on the ship where they so the planet has a, a ring field, a set, a set of rings that are being formed. They're not perfect rings like Saturn because they're too recent for that. But apparently a thousand years ago, a couple of moons collided or something. And now there's this debris field that's in the process of becoming rings around the planet and one of the chunks of that debris landed on the planet which brought amnesia to the people below and up on the ship as they're being battered by this debris field um ortegas is doesn't know who she is she just wants to go somewhere safe and she's talking to the computer and the computer eventually leads her to her quarters and She makes it to her quarters. And what what this kind of amnesia does is it removes episodic autobiographical memory 
So you don't know who you are. You don't know what your life story is. You don't know other people. What you do know are non-discursive skills. So you know how to talk, you know how to walk, you know how to do your job, at least in basic terms, but you don't know the more complex social realities. So she doesn't realize she's a pilot. And and she makes it to her quarters. She's talking to the computer. The ship is being pummeled by debris. It is hitting her her viewport or her her, her port, uh, her window, looking out into space. And it's just shaking the ship and crashing. And she's terrified. And she just says, make it stop. And that's a really terrifying moment. Mm-hmm. And it's there. So this is very different emotionally than what I expected from among the Lotus Eaters. Um, It's also a triumphant moment for Ortegas, as you mentioned, Dom, because by talking to the computer and telling the computer, make it stop, the computer says the only way to make it stop is to get the ship out of the debris field. And it's like, we'll do that. It's like, well, you're the pilot. And she's, I'm the pilot. I fly Mm. the ship. Yes, you are Erica Ortegas and you are the pilot. And she's like she adopts that as her mantra to fix it in memory. I'm Erica Ortega. I fly the ship. And she keeps saying that to herself over and over again, walks up back up to the bridge, gets behind the pilot's console and just and Spock has a great line here because um, she she says, oh, and I have it in my, oh, yeah. Uh, she says, I'm the pilot. And he's like, yes, yes, you are. I believe you. Now get us out of here. And mm. she says, absolutely, which is like, hey, an infix. You don't yep. encounter those much in English. We have prefixes and suffixes that go on the beginning or the ends of words. But in many languages, they have infixes. And friggin and its less polite counterparts are the only established one in English. But it's always <laughs> nice to see an infix. But she just sits down and trusts herself to be able to pilot the ship out of this. Yeah. Well, that was that was kind of comments we had on on our discord about this episode, because Let's be honest, we're a lot of Star Trek fans. Uh, I think I could say our panel included. We're very cautious when the words feelings comes up right now in Star Trek, you know, because we think of the USS emotional discovery and we we there's there are some on the discord that expressed, you know, like, oh, right. they're, They're talking about feelings. Feelings saves everything. We're going back to discovery. And it's this is a very different sense of feelings. This isn't emotional. Let's let's stop the battle and discuss our feelings like they would on Discovery, like literally in the middle of battle. The Romulans or the, the, the Klingons are attacking. What do we do? Well, let's discuss our feelings for five minutes before we raise shields. You know, nothing like that. Yeah, this is I didn't get this any, is, I didn't get any problem is, with feelings out of this. episode. This is this is. Intuition, this is learned behaviors, muscle memory, if you will, you know, but emotion, someone someone mentioned mental muscle memory. You know, things, things that were so ingrained in them that they could remember. And so when she sat down at that console and it just, it, she said it felt right. Well, cause she had that mental muscle memory of how to fly the ship and it all came back to her. There it's also, like how to knowing how to drive a car or knowing yeah. how to dance. It's not right stored in the analytical part of your memory. There were right. also actual emotions like love that were also, mm-hmm. you know, that like Anson, uh, Anson. Pike's sorry, Pike's love for Patel um, that 
helped him maneuver out of the difficulties he was in on the planet. But that's okay. Like you said, Father Corey, the problem with Discovery wasn't that they that it, they had emotions. They're not, you know, we don't expect them all to be Vulcans. The no. problem on Discovery is that everything stopped so they could have emotions. <laughs> that it got in the way of the plot and of the story moving forward. It's not Let's, that it, it doesn't help the story. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend to folks that they not freak out if the word feeling gets mentioned because <laughs> yeah. you you want yeah. feelings in good stories. Otherwise, they're not interesting. Um, it's it's the excess and abuse of feelings in storytelling that's the problem. Yep, and I, that's that's I mean that's I guess that's kind of understandable when when you're you've got a series that pretty much pummels you with it that any time yeah people related to that series mention that word. It's kind of like, Oh, where are we going with this? <laughs> right. People That's are understandable. Hypersensitive. <laughs> yep. I, I've moved on from discovery. So I'm not <laughs> as discovery doesn't exist for me. Yeah. One of the other things that this, in addition to memento that this the episode kind of reminded me of was wizard of Oz. There's a sort of mm-hmm. wizard of Oz feeling to this. You know, we have to, uh, you know, who are we, you know, what, what are our roles and we're on the way to find the man behind the curtain. You know, there's a whole there. bit of a man behind the curtain thing with Yeoman Zach and, and that sort of thing, or wicked, which of the, is it East or West that they actually, they they land the house on one of them and they, I think it's the East is the one they land on and the West is the, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. In any case, well, in, in wizard Oz has, has the, the flower field where they, right. They literally, they start just, you know, losing themselves and falling asleep and, Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's that as well. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Pike and Battelle, this this relationship that has, comes from the very beginning of season one. Uh, in fact, it literally starts with this relationship and this idea of these two captains trying to have a relationship. And they keep talking about how, oh, it's it's impossible for captains to you know have a, a personal life. And this is something that Star Trek has often said you know that oh it's impossible mm-hmm. and right back to tos where you know kirk is the enterprise is his is his love and the only woman in his life and that sort of thing i, I just don't feel like that except for all the others <laughs> yeah right, right i just don't feel like that that's that's accurate or you know i mean certainly cisco had a had a personal life and had a had a son and had a wife before she died also uh, yeah. captains in the u.s navy seem to manage families too right yeah. And even in the days where where you in the this age of sail, where captains might be away at sea for months or even a year at a time, they managed mm-hmm. to have families. I, I I just feel like it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, having a relationship with a captain of another ship that's often going to be away. You're not going to see them for years at a time. That might be hard, but it's not impossible to have relationships. Well, and, and I mean, it, it does. It even goes back to the, the cage part of. Uh, when you see Pike is in his his quarters and he's, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm done. That was part of it. And that was part of the kind of the temptation that right. came from um, the from, Talosians. Uh, Talosians was yeah. being able to have the relationship, you know, and, and to live in that relationship with anything he wanted. Right. You know? So so that that's something that's always been part part of Star Trek. And, yeah, you're right. I mean. Admittedly, yes, if you're on a five year mission on a ship that doesn't have families and it's not the Enterprise D, a.k.a. the cruise ship in space, um, (laughs) it's understand, you know, it it might it might it's going to be a lot more difficult to have a five year long distance relationship. Right. And it's not possible, but you can't date among the crew. Right. I mean, that would be a bad idea. Well, (laughs) you really shouldn't. You know, there, there are certain things that that can cause problems with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
And then so the, and then there's this aspect of Battelle being passed over for promotion. And Pike thinks it's because of the the, the trial and the outcome of the trial. And that uh, that Vulcan admiral from the judge, the judge advocate general taking revenge on her for failing somehow, which. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem logical, but, you know, <laughs> Vulcans are not the always logical. didn't seem logical. But. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Rigel 7, we should mention, uh, I saw someone complaining about it who clearly didn't understand. Rigel 7 is from the cage, from the original pilot. It, this is, mm-hmm. this is um, a flashback that he has on Talos, where he's, he remembers going to this planet that had a castle and a princess in a you know, in a wimple, it wasn't a wimple, whatever that, that tall pointed yeah. hat is. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and he, and in that he mentions, Oh, we lost three crew members on that away mission, including my yeoman. So it's a nice callback by the way, that they, they bring that up here. Um, and then he has to get him to bond with Vina in, in the vision. He has to fight a big, huge hulking Neanderthal warrior guy played by Ted Cassidy, I think. Was it the, was it the same guy who did uh, Jaws and James Bond? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I forgot. I did forget his name, but maybe that's his name. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it was a yeah. big dude. Um and so they apparently get contaminated the culture, leaving something behind um, yeah. as a prime. Including decor- a living, not dead Zach, Yeoman Zach Crewman. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, th- well, this, this was the, the this was the event that led to Pike having his, you know, conscious or crisis of, of faith, if you will, crisis in his, his ability to be a captain that started with the cage. I'm surprised they didn't make more of that, the, that this was a this this failed mission you know, has repercussions for Pike or do we just kind of say, oh, that was kind of solved with the, everything that happened to Talos. He kind of resolved that there. Um, He's got a different personal crisis now, but um, because with his relationship with the other captain, but, and they could have tapped into that, but they chose not to, I guess, because it's two different crises. And yeah. this is, he's mm-hmm. not currently having a career crisis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so uh, we have so they, and, and and I'm glad he's not because yeah. you don't want your main character unenthusiastic about his job, <laughs> right? That, that would be an, an, an uninteresting show. So they they Starfleet every once in a while sends a ship around to see what's going on on this planet. They can't scan the surface because of interference, so they take pictures from uh, from orbit. And the, on their last pass, they saw this garden outside this castle with the clearly the Starfleet Delta symbol mm-hmm. planted there. Um, it, it just seems so convenient. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause Zach, who is now King Zach, yep. uh, doesn't, doesn't realize that this is going to attract attention. And he's like, Oh, my people, they keep using the symbol to, as my symbol. Um, and it's like, okay, but you know, you, you, they conveniently built this thing large enough to be seen from orbit. Seems a little there's a couple of aspects of this that were a little hard to take as I mean, you know, you take take it and you move on with the story. But it was like, oh, nitpicky details. Yeah. There's also a moment where later in the episode, which is actually great, where once they realize that people on the ship are also suffering from amnesia, Spock hands out iPads 
with everybody's mm-hmm. personnel file on them so you can you can carry your own information with you and that's a great idea and that should totally work because mem- because reading is a skill that is not in, it is not part of autobiographical memory it's mm-hmm. like driving or walking mm-hmm. reading you should still be able to do and then they can't for some reason yeah. It's like, come on. <laughs> that was you, weird. Yeah. You made up the rules. Reading would it be included in this. Right. Yeah, they, they recognize they recognize the picture as themselves, but it's like, I don't know what it says. I just know that this is talking about me. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. That was a, that was a weird obstacle that they throw in there. The other one, another one is how many phaser rifles did Pike leave behind last time he was down there? Yeah, because we see the we see the ruling class guards using uh, carrying phaser rifles, and that uh, they didn't make those things. This is a Bronze Age culture, so those things mm-hmm. had to be left. Yeah. Well, there's a whole box of supplies and you know medical supplies and stuff like that that is. That he's uh, Zach is using as basically like an end table type of thing, you know. <laughs> right, right. He's getting he's probably healing himself whenever he gets sick from the supplies there. I know. I, 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 I do like the build with the blasters because as they're approaching the citadel, so they fly down in a shuttle and park like way, way far away, mm-hmm. so that they won't culturally contaminate them with the knowledge of the shuttle. And then they they walk, I think they said, 25 kilometers to get to the castle. And as they're doing that, they're using telescopes, which is the most advanced sensing device they have on them. Even that could be problematic because in Earth history, we didn't develop the telescope until well after the Bronze Age. If yeah. These people are Bronze Age. They, they're not familiar with telescopes, um, but they're using the telescope. It's a little handheld collapsible telescope, and they're using it to observe activity at the castle, and they see that they have blasters. And uh, Mbenga comes up and says, we've got company, and there's a whole bunch of guards right behind him. And as Pike begins his, we are travelers. We have come a great distance. We don't mean to cause any disrespect, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to diplomacy his, mm-hmm. you know, his way out of this situation. And they immediately say, we know you're from Starfleet. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Well, yep. that, that's my speech all done. Uh, let's move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the shuttle, just a little ship geek moment. I love the fact that this shuttle has yoke and throttle. Like, in DS9 and TNG and in back in TOS, they always flew with like like buttons on a panel, mm-hmm. which yep. just seems like crazy to try to fly something that way. Well, even like touch panel, you know, like you're actually using like touch panel, like with a yeah. D pad joystick yeah. or joystick D pad. <laughs> but uh, this one, you had a yoke and a throttle, and, a, and, a, and I'm there for that. I, I, I like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Mbenga and Laan have been chosen. For their hand-to-hand combat skills. That's what he tells them. That's why Mbengas, the doctor, is on this away mission. And I'm thinking, better combat skills than anyone in security? <laughs> Besides Laon? Like, there's got to be other security, right? Yeah, but I, they've established he's a really, really confident fighter because of the quirks yeah. of his personal his- history. I guess, yeah. So, uh, even before they leave the shuttle, Laon starts hearing this ringing in her ears and by the way i saw a lot of complaints online from people who said that the ringing affected their tinnitus or hearing Mm. aids and that uh, it was way too piercing Mm. for for people who are sensitive so um i thought that was i thought that was interesting um so she ends up hearing ring her ears she gets lightheaded and then loses six hours of time and so they're uh, when she realizes that they're six hours away from the shuttle and it's like 
Should we go back? Well, we've come this far, which sunk cost fallacy, anyone? <laughs> you should have gone back. It's, you know. Yeah, I like how in that moment, you know, Mbenga, who, and this is before they've lost their memories, Mbenga starts, you know, he doesn't have a, a diagnostic instruments with him, but he's like taking her pulse and it's like, well, her pulse is stable. And, and, um, and he's concerned and it's actually he that first suggests maybe we should go back to the shuttle mm -hmm. and Pike says we wouldn't make it before dark. Um, and as, as Mbenga is talking about going back, um, Pike cuts to the chase and says, is it your official diagnosis that we need to turn back? Right. And at that point, Mbenga has to, you know, look at what degree of concern do I have here medically mm -hmm. and focus on that. And it's like, well, I think we can still proceed with the mission as long as this doesn't get any worse. Right. But I like that moment of, is it your official medical diagnosis that we need to go back? That's a really good way of focusing the question. Also, the the symptoms of this, it starts with lightheadedness and ringing in the ears, followed by time loss, headache, abnormal fear, and finally, autobiographical amnesia. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Corey? I was going to say, and that, that's kind of a scary feeling that that, that time loss, you know, I, if, if you've ever like been driving um, tired, for example, this happened to me one time where I was, I should not have been on the road. I absolutely should not have been on the road. And I was driving from where I was stationed at the Air Force home to visit my family. And it was late at night and I was pushing myself too hard. And I hit a point that I knew well, I knew this stretch of road well. And I realized I passed it and I didn't remember oh, passing it. That is the worst. And that is such, especially something like that, where you're like, okay, my life's at risk if I fell asleep. And I didn't fall asleep. I just completely spaced that time. Yeah. I just kind of went into autopilot and zoned out. I've done and that. That's, you know, that's a very, you know, that was just a few minutes. Yeah. You know, five minutes, 10 minutes. This would be, you know, six hours where how do we get to this point where was she walking as a zombie or does she just not remember? Like they, they yeah. had old conversations and had no clue what was going on. Yeah. I think a six hour time loss is much, a much bigger deal. I don't think yeah. she communicated to Mbenga the seriousness of what just happened to her. If I yeah. lost the last six hours, I would, it's like, dude, I just lost six hours. Something is seriously wrong. Yeah, exactly. One thing I really dislike in these sorts of uh, stories is when someone decides to gut out or pretend that some major bad thing has happened to them, that they're, that they're undergoing a significant mm -hmm. uh, ailment or injury or loss of capacity of some sort. And they're just going to tough it out. I'm like, no, because you're putting everyone at risk, including the mission. You need to be honest about what's going on. Now you may continue the mission, but be you, you have to be honest it's with what's going on. The stereotypical is thing is like they get stabbed in the gut or something like that, and they they hide it so people can't see it. And of course, they're bleeding out all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but, you know that kind of deal. <laughs> what bullet? Um, yeah. So as we mentioned, they get captured. They brought before uh, King Zach, uh, who's uh, like high Lord Zacharias, please. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, he's <laughs> he's a little he's a little uh, uh, angry at having been left behind, which, you know, I can understand having been abandoned in the Bronze Age. Uh, even, you know, even King in the Bronze Age is still the Bronze Age uh, yeah. in a place where, you know, memory loss and all of this other stuff is 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 uh, tough. And um, 
he they don't tell us right away what's going on. And he's he's sort of gloating about, oh, you're about to experience how this place affects you. And, you know, you're going to be changed into one of these people like the Kalar and um, the and field Kalar, the field Kalar. Yeah. Right. And uh, the, uh, it's interesting. Is it Pike that gets affected inside the castle like this? They, they, I think there's an inconsistency at one point here when mm. they're inside that one of them starts experiencing the ringing and the effects of the radiation inside the castle when it's being inside the castle that's supposed to shield you. So there was a little bit of an inconsistency. Yeah, because he, he he lost he has time loss where he didn't remember going from the castle to the to the yeah, cage. But it's yeah. it's in the cage where the effect hits. So he's right. he 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 he's. It may not be it may not be an, an inconsistency um, because they put him in a cage outside of the castle. And that's when he loses time and doesn't remember how he got into the cage from the castle. Right. Right. And does he. But they do show him with like the, with ten, the tinnitus, tinnitus yeah. in the. Yeah. In the castle. Kind of yeah. ironic. William Shatner suffers from tinnitus. It's kind of interesting that. Captain Kirk, they're in real life, has tinnitus, and that's part of this. And he got the tinnitus along with DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy because when they were filming the Gorn episode, they were setting off grenades at the colony site, and yeah. one of the grenades was too close to the three of them. Right, right. Yep. We mentioned that in the uh, when we talked about that. That's right. Uh, so, well, by the way, speaking of the tinnitus, one of the things I liked were the tinnitus cuts that they would do mm -hmm. as a directing mm -hmm. choice. So you'd have someone on the planet, let's say Pike, experiencing tinnitus, and then they would cut to someone on the Enterprise, like Uhura, experiencing tinnitus. And then later, when it's time to go back to the planet, someone on the Enterprise has tinnitus, and we cut to someone on the planet having mm -hmm. tinnitus. Right. Do you know, did you notice, like, when speaking of people on the ship, at one point, Una starts suffering the effects and then she's gone for the rest of the episode. Like she disappears. Mm -hmm. uh, the other people who also are suffering uh, the effects, they're they're still present on screen. Well, but, you, like you see uh, Chapel, just, Nurse Chapel, just walking around completely out of it yeah. because of it. And she just walks through the corridor for one scene. But still, yeah. you see her. Yeah, but Una is you, gone. You also see the bridge crew as more and more people get affected. The bridge crew becomes progressively smaller until it's just Spock and Ortegas. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, though, that Spock at least saw his duty to stay on the bridge, even if he might not have understood why. Right. There was that like, instinct. He didn't leave. Ortegas there. left. Ortegas left. Uhura left. Everybody took off. But Spock stayed there, even if he's like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm here. <laughs> right. So um, let's talk about Luke, the uh, Kalar that that befriends them. And he he basically takes them under his wing. You know, we he he's the exposition character who tells the audience what's going on. But they do it effectively. Yeah, I, think. I, li I like how there it's almost a satirization of the live in the moment philosophy, because that's right. what he keeps telling them. You know, forget about the past, forget about the future, just live in this moment and everything will be fine. And it's like you hear the live in the moment, take it one day at a time thing so often. And it's like, no, humans are planning creatures. We plan for the future. Our plans mm -hmm. are based on our memories of what's happened in the past. We need to be thinking about all three time zones and and this live in the moment stuff has very limited application and utility in life. And well, I love seeing that be, be sent up by live in the moment being a hellhole where no progress is made. 
yeah. ever. And sla- you are enslaved, essentially, the field yeah. killer anyway. You know, this comes brings us to the moral crux of this story, I think, which is Luke says, no, no, the the forgetting is a gift because by forgetting, we can forget anguish and pain and loss. We are free because we have no past and have no burdens. And mm-hmm. at the end, we find out or Luke and Luke finds out that, you know, he has this one of these tattoos, they tattoos information, vital information on themselves. And he has part of his tattoo has been blanked out. Because possibly the pain of being reminded every day about this loss that he finds out he lost his wife and his son. Um, And although I find that a little a little suspicious, I mean, if I had let's say, you know, being a widower, if I had the name Renee and even if it said Renee, my beloved wife on my arm and I forgot who she was every night. I don't and saw it on my arm the next morning. I don't know that it would be super painful if I genuinely can't remember anything about her. There is a case I read about of a Alzheimer's patient who, uh, you know, is Alzheimer's mm-hmm. is a memory loss uh, mm-hmm. a disease. And this woman whose husband had died and she would forget every day that he had died mm-hmm. and they would mm-hmm. tell her every day. Oh, no. You know, Joe died. Remember? Remember, Joe died and she would experience that grief every day yeah. of, of a personal loss. And so they stopped telling her that he right. died and just told her he's not he's here. Not here. Yeah. yeah. And, but that's she's got her long term memory. She knows who Joe is. Right. And right. so she's remembering what he was like. And she she doesn't realize he's dead. And it's like if you were just told, Dom, Melanie is dead. Well, you remember Melanie. That and being told she's dead mm-hmm. would be a horrific shock to you. Right. Because you remember her. But if I don't remember who Renee is at all, then it's just yep. a name on my arm. Right. And that's, Although, and that, that, and yeah. I mean, that's why with something like Alzheimer's, they, they do kind of live in their world a little bit. And it's like, oh, oh, Joe, Joe, he's oh, he's off at the market or he's off at work. He'll he'll, he'll be back later. Yeah. And they don't they don't ever tell them they just because they'll they'll forget in five minutes you know alzheimer's really is one of those diseases like in five minutes they'll forget you know we we would have when i worked as a nurse's aide in high school we would have one one lady who she always wanted to call her sister always wanted to call her sister well she was her sister only wanted to visit like once a week right so he's oh you you talked to her earlier today you talked to her yesterday yeah you know something like that this is something that actually janet smith raised in a debate i saw her doing on lying um janet's theory of lying is that it can be morally acceptable and even a moral positive to use deception in some situations like Mm -hmm. if you have a alzheimer's patient whose whose spouse is dead don't tell them every day when they ask that their spouse is dead. You know, um, you can imply to them that the spouse is still alive and just not here now. And that's the actual merciful thing to do to that person rather than traumatizing them over and over again Mm. by telling them a truth that they're not prepared to accept or that will be wrenchingly traumatic for them. No, one thing that's with with Luke's case is it's it's he remembers the emotion and that might be a part of why he, you know, he remembers 
when he sees the name and the names. Yeah, but it, it I, I thought about that. But yeah. if if I don't know names, you know, the only reason he knows his name is because it's written on his arm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he wouldn't know his wife's name. He might connect. He might feel like I'm missing someone and remember that feeling of missing someone. But he wouldn't be able to connect it to a name. Right. Well, that name. Yeah. The name. I would presume if I've tattooed two names on my arm, <laughs> that they're important mm-hmm. to me. So maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I see your point. Um, I, I, but I, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of that. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I'm quite there yet with you. But yeah, I can see what you're saying. And I'm uh, not saying there's no rationale for it. I'm just saying it's kind of it's questionable to me. And certainly from my point of view, I. I wouldn't want to do what Luke did. I'd want to remember as much as I can, even with mm-hmm. the pain. And I think that's the the moral question here is I don't think being freed from memory of pain and suffering is freedom, you know, because well, we because some of that is who we are, is that the, the things that we've gone through, the, 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 the joys and pains we suffer is part of who we are. And I think that to take some well, of then, that away, then, we lose something of ourselves. And at the at the end, Luke even re, even admits that that he was wrong that that it isn't a mercy to lose your memories, but that actually we should you know, be able to retain our memories. You know, they should be able to retain their memories and remember the people that they lost, right? And, and remember the, the past. And so. in that same scene, Mbenga and Laan acknowledge he's partially right that he has a point about mm-hmm. about some of his perspective, even though fundamentally we do need to remember. Um, and that's one of the things I like is. Luke is not Luke and Mbenga and Laan all have valid points. The and so we have a complex reality here about memory and its role and how much is good to remember, but when it when is it okay not to remember? Um, when is it tempting to want to not remember? Um, all of those things are valid points and we're dealing with a complex emotional reality. And I like the fact the writers are acknowledging and exploring that rather than just portraying one side as absolutely right with no questions involved. Mm-hmm. You know, among the lotus eaters, lotus eaters sometimes refers to people who are uh, opium, uh, like poppy, mm-hmm. you, know, the, you know, the the uh, drug addicts. And sometimes people descend into drugs to escape remembering, to escape uh, suffer the, the memory of suffering or pain and maybe that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to get at with this title and with this story is, is you know we can try to escape from our pain and suffering through various means but it doesn't it, it's that's not an improvement that's not better for us in the end um pike decides to solve the problem on the planet by taking the asteroid off of it so mm-hmm. they tie a couple of shuttles to it and lift it off the planet so that the civilization will you know, progress, you know, with people having their memories again. And Spock questions Pike about, is this another, we're sent here to clean up a prime directive problem. Are we interfering with um, the natural Natural development of this culture? And Pike says no. um, And Spock finds his, his logic reasonable, but I would have made the point, dude, There is no I mean, uh, we all know the prime directive is illogical and applied inconsistently and is frankly morally indefensible. But if it's there, it's got to be interpreted in the most reasonable way possible. And there is no moral there is no natural development happening on this planet because everyone's losing their memory every night. And yeah, I, I would say an asteroid falling from the sky is 
as natural as it gets. There's no, there's no, it's someone's didn't do it to them. And you know, this is, you know, this is nature taking its course. I also think removing the asteroids is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the moral thing to do. So yeah. yeah. If I had to rationalize it in a prime directive context though, it's, this is preventing the natural development of the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not developing naturally. They're stagnant in this because of what's happened with the asteroid. So one thing I want to bring up is um, the actress who plays Erica Ortegas, uh, Melissa Navia. She in, in, in between seasons, she suffered a, a, a horrific loss. Her husband died of leukemia. And mm-hmm. um, and I re- remember reading an interview wow. she, she gave about the suffering she went through and the experience of that. And I really could feel like in this episode, I, I mean, she's. She's a good actress, so obviously. But she was a really good actress in this episode. Yeah, I was yeah. impressed. I felt like some of her personal pain was coming through in some of what was I was seeing on screen, or maybe that was just me, you know, remembering her interview. But um, but I could see like she's someone who would have gone through this personal pain and remembering and you know and and all of that that this would apply to you know like the and in fact I think in the interview she talks about at one point she wishes she could forget all of the her, her life with her husband and all this other stuff. I'm not sure if that's an accurate re- re- memory, but there was something about wanting to move on and then realizing the importance of remembering mm-hmm. things. So. Yeah. I, uh, my memories of Renee for a while after, you know, after I lost her were, it was painful because I remembered her and I knew what I had lost. Um, after she died, but I would never want to give up those memories. Um, In fact, being willing to endure the pain of remembering someone and, and wanting to remember them is a sign of your love and commitment to that person, even after they're gone. Yep, definitely. Uh, So, and then uh, there's Spock who is uh, in this episode is he's Lieutenant Spock. He's not, First Officer Spock, Lieutenant Commander Spock or Commander Spock, he's still kind of relatively new at the job and he makes a mistake that almost destroys the ship in, in this, which is he thinks going into this debris field will save it. And in fact, it makes things worse because he doesn't see that the, the unknown substance in the rocks is actually what's causing this amnesia radiation. And the problem is not just his. You you always have to remember on Strange New Worlds, Spock is not the first officer. He is not in charge when Pike's gone. That's (laughs) number one. Yes. And he so he goes to number one when he's when they discover that, the you know, the planet seems to be the source of the problems they're having. He says, we need to get away from here. And number one, who is suffering from the problems herself, tells him keep us close because if we're having it bad here imagine what they're experiencing down on the planet and so she naturally doesn't want to leave but it's the fact she gives the order to keep us close that causes them to seek shelter in the debris field which is makes it even worse yeah so we we did get a a comment from a a patron on this Mm -hmm. episode and i don't want to hold it for next time um I kind of bring up here because I want to address a couple of things that other listeners may be thinking about. And he says um, he felt like this was a sloppy episode. He said, mm-hmm. uh, first, they send the only doctor on the away mission. Second, Ortegas is allowed to shush Spock, her superior officer, and tell him he needs to know when to leave someone alone. 
And then Yuhori gets stuck on the bridge while navigating through a debris field, and they send the pilot to escort her to sick, escort her to sick bay. Uh, and he says, I'm usually not a, such a stickler for detail, but this was bordering on ridiculous. And I, I want to address those things because first, Chapel, we call her Nurse Chapel because that's what she, she was in TOS. She's, she's really a doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, we saw how capable she was treating Yuhora. Um, second, Ortegas and Spock are the same rank. They're both lieutenants. So he doesn't outrank her. He's not her superior officer. Um, so, you know, that's that's another one. And then uh, they weren't yet in the debris field when Uhura got sick. They were they went to shelter in the debris field as things started getting worse, as people started getting sick. But they weren't in the debris field yet. That's why they wanted uh, Ortegas on the ship in case of debris from the debris field coming out of it and, you know, and, and endangering the ship. So um, I, I feel, I mean, there are, there are nitpicky details to criticize, but I didn't feel like that those were ac- necessarily accurate to this episode. One thing I liked was that how jazzed Ortegas was to get to go on an away mission only yeah. to be told not to. And given that Spock is a Vulcan trying to fit into human culture, I, I took her, you should learn, you should work on knowing when to leave people alone as <laughs> helpful, friendly advice rather than I can see one lieutenant saying that to another lieutenant Yeah, um, as helpful, friendly advice. Rather, it's not insubordination because she's not his subordinate. Right. Um, but uh, but I like that. And I like that he said, thank you. I'm working on that. <laughs> Also, I liked there's a bit in the final confrontation between Pike and Zach, where Pike is in the castle and he is marching towards Zach and he's going to give Zach a really big pummeling Mm -hmm. uh, that goes on for quite a while. So it's very satisfying. And he almost kills Zach with the phaser rifle, but then doesn't. Um, And. But there's a moment where Zach has the phaser rifle and he's trying to blast Pike and Pike deflects it with a platter. (laughs) He's got like a serving platter and he deflects the blast. And I couldn't help but thinking of Perseus in Mm. uh, when when Perseus kills Medusa, the Gorgon, you know, he approaches her with like a mirrored uh, with a mirror, like a mirrored platter Mm -hmm. so that she sees herself and, and and dies. I was thinking they should coat starships and whatever that platter is made of so that it could deflect. Yeah. No <laughs> well, and, you know, you would think that would be like standard issue if you're going for, you know, uh, like a ground fighting or whatever. Make sure you're all, you've got armored or shielded <laughs> armor, you know, they should have they should have like personal like shields. On, uh, on but even or, or, or mirrored, sorry, mirrored, mirrored uh, shields <laughs> yeah. where they could just, oh, you're going to shoot me. Well, I'll just reflect it back at you. Yeah. Uh, Anything else, uh, Father Corey, do you have anything you wanted to add on that? Mm, nothing here. Okay. Uh, we do get Pike's apology to Patel. I did. We, I, I didn't. I forgot to mention that, that uh, there was a we apologizes. She's she doesn't let him off the hook necessarily, but she says uh, we'll they're see. Eff- they're effectively reconciled. She says, let's yeah. see how the next 30 minutes go and take it from there. And yes. in a romantic way. Yes. Right. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? Any other nope. uh, notes? Okay, so let's uh, get to our feedback then. And our first feedback comes from our discussion of Ad Astra or Aspera from Clint, who sent this email. I just want to mention some aspects of the above named episode, though I don't know if the writers were aware of them. Ad Astra per Aspera is the motto of the state of Kansas. Kansas 
fought the Civil War for 10 years longer than most of the rest of the country. See the history of Bleeding Kansas, where pro-slavery factions attempted to force Kansas to adopt a pro-slavery position. Spoiler, it didn't work. Kansas was the last state to join the Union before the Civil War, and it did it as a free state. Kansas lost more men per capita than any other state on either side, in spite of the fact that there was no economic motivation. Kansas was not industrial nor invested in a slave economy. I like to say that Kansas was the only state in the Union to fight solely on the side of the angels, but I'm a Kansan, so. Bottom line, with the themes of the episode resolving around discrimination with the subtext of American racism, I found it deeply satisfying that my state's motto was used as as the title. Uh, And I wanted to add, uh, and I hope to put this link in the show notes, I found a story of how the state got its motto. Uh, The the man behind it was uh, actually a native of my state, uh, who was born not far from where I am, uh, John James Ingalls. And uh, it talks about to add astro per astro means to the stars with difficulty. And in this case, the stars was the field of stars on the, the American flag. So Kansas yeah. entered that field of stars with difficulty. But notice note now that you've done that, Kansas, if you want to keep the motto, you need to build a spaceport. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Texas can't be the only one with the uh, spaceport. So um, and then for our next feedback, we got this on our discussion of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow from Joby, who sent an email and said, uh, while I agree that saving Archduke Ferdinand could have prevented communism and Nazism and both world wars, there is a time paradox that you're not considering. If there were no World War Two, Werner von Braun would not have had the funding to advance rocket science in Germany, leading to our space program. No American space program, no Star Trek TV show. No Star Trek TV show, no secrets of Star Trek, no secrets of Star Trek, no this email, poof. What email? Hey, his, <laughs> history is fragile, man. If um, if your parents had behaved only slightly differently on the night you were conceived, you wouldn't be here. A different person would be instead. That's right. Yeah. Careful on those branching timelines. They, uh, they, they're they fragile. <laughs> so uh, thank you both for the feedback. We appreciate it. All right, so we'd like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Among the Lotus Eaters? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And we'll be back in two weeks when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds, Charades, plus whatever's the episode after that. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I am Erica Ortegas, and I fly the ship. <laughs>